time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, June 27th, 2022. Jack, good to have you joining me as a co-host here. I appreciate you. Certainly. We've got another great podcast, Jack. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals, and we do that for mortgage professionals, and we're grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. But anyway, Jack and I are going to do a special podcast next week and talking about the economy, where things are at, what's going on, leadership. So very excited to be doing that. It's some great content. This week's Hot Topic segment, we pre-recorded a session with Shane Westra and Jay Arnia. They are with Simple Nexus, and we're so excited to have them as guests. I really enjoyed doing this interview with them. And what I love about our sponsors, they're more interested in sharing best practices and thought leadership rather than just pushing out their products. And that's one of the things we value about having them a special guest. And boy, we really got into some excellent stuff. You're going to enjoy this interview in the Hot Topic segment today. So, so listen in for this week's Hot Topic. Hey, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Usual Mortgage Bot Solution, personalizes a loan application path based on borrower-specific information and in a workflow and a type that is really works. We had John Winklewitz on the podcast June 6th. Check out that podcast. Also, form-free, patented account check and passport products. Open doors to more exclusive credit decisions by revealing each customer's true empirical ability to pay, ATP. We had Christy Boss on, and that was June 20th, along with Freddie Mac. And so it was a fun interview. Be sure to check that one out. Also, Letter Toolkit, Brent Brumley and Brent Emler. We're working with them and getting back on a podcast. They do a great job with their technology. SnapDocs with, oh man, they do so many amazing things. Over 3 million mortgage closings this year for lenders and title companies, and that's e-closing. So really do a great job. Go check that out. Brianna Ings, we had her on on March 28th. Then also Total Expert. Again, we had the Accelerate Conference up at Nashville a couple weeks ago. It was outstanding. They've built the best CRM for lenders that has intelligence for understanding their unique needs. Josh Lear and I presented at the conference and then we had him on the podcast May 9th. Check that out. Also, Simple Nexus, which is again, what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. Also, other sponsors, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, Success Kit, Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, and Modex. Love those two products. Oh my gosh. I love all our sponsors' products. We use them all. And then also, Mortgage Advisor Tools and DW Consulting. W. Weemus does a great job helping you with your LinkedIn profile. Also, a special thank you goes out to Adam Left, Matt, Alice Allen, and my co-host, Jack Murray. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with what Adam has uploaded to us. And by the way, we heard from Rob Van Rapphorst, who has joined David Stevens. They're working together. And guess what? David Stevens reached out. We're going to be having them on the podcast, doing a fun interview with them. Hopefully, they're going to work it out where we have them live, but nothing else to pre-record it. So, without further ado, let's get over to hear what Adam DeSantis has to say for the MBA with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Adam? Hi. 
I'm Adam DeSanctis. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, in response to a letter submitted by MBA and other trades, FHFA provided additional details on its plans to update the credit score model requirements for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. FHFA's response offered a timeline of implementation depending on the number of credit score environments and noted that the agency and the GSEs are committed to engaging with stakeholders. MBA has advocated for a deliberate implementation process and timeline and will work to ensure a smooth transition. Also last week, MBA and the National Fair Housing Alliance announced a new online toolkit for mortgage lenders interested in developing special purpose credit programs, or SPCPs. The online toolkit, which was developed with technical assistance from the Homeownership Council of America with input from the Urban Institute, provides background information, best practices, industry examples, data, and other useful links to help mortgage lenders in their work in developing SPCPs. Go to spcp.com to access the toolkit. Now that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Appreciate it very much. We really appreciate our partnership with the MBA. I'm going to be giving a presentation tomorrow to a bunch of CEOs in Austin, some of the leading CEOs in the Austin market. And we're talking about housing and the economy and where the mortgage rates are going, all that. And I want to say a big public thank you to Mike Frattantoni, who shared his slides from a recent presentation he did last week with me. So we're going to be talking about those next week on the podcast. But thank you to the MBA for all that they do. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app. We through that app can support all the things they're doing on the Hill for us. And that is much. And we need to have our voice heard. We're too small of a trade organization to be silent. So we need to have the few of us that are here making our voice known. You do not have to be a member of the NBA. I've stressed that before. I'll stress that again. You should be a member of the NBA, but you don't have to be to access and take advantage of the Mortgage Action Alliance app. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Oz can dance. Every dance with the trend that gives them the eye. The financial markets continue their electric dance while traders go to work. As bonds cha-cha with the bears trying to take it back from the bulls, oil and gold slide. At the ECB, its leadership crisscross ambiguity and certainty over the size of its looming rate hikes. Meanwhile, housing seems to hop along, but supply goes left and demand goes right. So with a dollar freeze, turn it out or lead to a stop, will bonds save the last dance for bulls? <laughs> These views are my own. Catch the bonds dance moves at tmspotlight.com. Oh, well. Les Parker and Gary Cantrabone teaming up to do a great job on that segment. I love it. There is so much information cramped in that soundbite, folks. That is short to the point. You can listen to that a dozen times. I'm not sure pulled you out of everything that's out of that. Be sure to sign up for Les's newsletter, the paid version. You get it for free by going to tmspotlight.com and putting in the word power for power seller in the code and sign up for it. So anyway, we've got Matt Graham here. It's always good to have you. I love your screens. I love what you do, brother. What you have behind us, what I have on my screen back here with all that information is nothing less than outstanding. And I just want every one of our listeners to sign up for your service at MBS. Live.net. 
But we've got Matt Graham, CEO, founder of mbslive.net, with us with a market update. What you got, Matt? Hey, Dave. Great to be here today. Bond markets not necessarily feeling the same, but we'll get to that in a second. Last week was generally good for the bond market because it helped yields or rates sort of reject the super high ceiling that was seen in the middle of June. And as a reminder, that ceiling came in response to the market's response to the CPI data, Consumer Price Index, from the previous Friday. I know we're going way back in time here, Dave, because I wasn't with you last week. So CPI came in hotter than expected. That was Friday the 10th. And then markets kind of freaked out heading into the Fed announcement from two weeks ago. And once the Fed confirmed the 75 basis point hike, then that really marked the ceiling in rates. And we were hoping that's what we were going to see. We were hoping the market was freaking out and that was going to kind of moderate especially in light of the fact that current economic data, most of the rate hike cycle is priced in fairly well at those levels. So that afforded bonds the opportunity to carve out this new high sideways volatile range that we've been looking for. And last week, because there were some gains, but they weren't really exuberant gains, sort of acted like a confirmation to whatever extent you can have a confirmation of something so uncertain. And why is it uncertain? Because the trading range is really only as good as the inflation-related economic data that comes in and the Fed's response to it. Speaking of the Fed's response, David, we heard from a million Fed speakers last week, and it was as if they were all given the exact same script (laughs) and the bullet points on that script. I mean, it was uncanny, really. I mean, the wires that were coming across, you could just change names out, and they were all the same. And there were no fewer than seven Fed members that said the exact same four points. Uh, The first was that they're super strongly committed to their inflation goal. That's job number one. A couple of them actually used those words, job one. And then the second point was that it makes sense to hike rates faster at first so we can level off sooner and possibly need less tightening overall. They all said some iteration of the job market, labor market being extraordinarily great and tight and all the rest of it. We're not worried about jobs. And then they all said something about, hey, raising rates does increase recession, but we think we can do this without a recession. We're still aiming for a soft landing, yada, yada, yada. You can't just yada, 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 soft landing. I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen. Away we went, and the market was kind of like, meh, looks like the Fed is about where we thought they were, and it really didn't cause any market reaction. Powell's prepared remarks at the Senate testimony, no major reaction there if anything, slightly positive for the bond market. But the biggest gains followed PMI data, purchasing managers indices, sort of like little mini GDP reports that come out every month. And Europe was the big market mover overnight on Thursday. And then during the day on Thursday, we had uh, PMI data in the US, 9.45 a.m., also a bit weaker than expected, also showing a deceleration of inflation and uh, bonds reacted favorably to that, hitting their best levels on Thursday, but sort of bouncing with 10-year yields not able to make it any lower than 3%. So what this means in the bigger picture is we were looking for a certain sideways range to sort of bookend this big spike in rates that was taking place in 2022. We knew that at some point that would level off, and it looked like that was probably happening after early May. And then it sort of bounced at 3% and took off again, and we were hoping to see those early May levels hold up. That was when 10-year yields hit 3.2, by the way. So all that CPI drama I mentioned at the beginning, that caused rates to break up and over 3.2, and suddenly we're adrift again trying to identify the next sideways range. And now that's really what this week is all about. It's a holiday shortened week. 
might not be as well traded from a liquidity standpoint as we would hope when we're trying to identify these sorts of sideways ranges. But it's pretty wide, pretty volatile. I think mainly I would just love to see bonds continue to hold under 3.5%. A lot of smart people out there think that that has a really good chance of being the ceiling for the year and potentially longer. And as I said at the beginning, and as they say, when they make these claims, it really does depend on how inflation comes in. To that end, last thing I got for today, Dave, PCE prices come out on Thursday this week. That'll be our key data point, biggest potential market mover. In the meantime, Treasury auction supply has put a bit of a damper on today, about a few minutes before I started talking. Five-year Treasury auction came in weaker than previous averages would like it to come in at, and bonds are reacting negatively. Yields are up a bit. MBS is down a bit. Some lenders are going to reprice for the worst. And that is all I got for today. Well, we're not done with you, though. Jack's always got a few comments to put in here. So, Dr. Nunnery. Quick question for Matt. Do you think that the market's baked in another 75 basis points increase in Fed funds yeah. rate for the month of July? Fed funds futures would suggest that that is a fairly decent chance, a little bit better than a real 50% chance that that's going to happen. And based on the Fed comments last week, it seems like that is probably something they'll do. But this is what makes Thursday so volatile. If the PCE data is noticeably hotter than expected, I think it all but guarantees that. And if CPI data falls off in the same way that some of the PMI inflation components suggested, then they might play things a little bit slower. But I do think it's notable, right, that it seemed like they were all reading off the same script last week and that one of the talking points on that script was that it made more sense to get to their destination quicker than slower. And that seems to suggest that they would like to do 75 now and then maybe take off a 25-bit hike that they may have planned for in the future. Powell can certainly do that and deliver that message. They can hike 75 bits even to the surprise of the financial market and then Powell could come out in the press conference and say, hey, 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 everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the bonds are tanking and stocks are tanking. You think we're being too aggressive now. But just remember, we said this stuff about getting to the destination early. This is what I'd like to call a dovish 75 bit. So don't worry. We're doing 75 now. And then we're not going to do one of the 25s that we may have had planned later in the year. So just don't worry about mm-hmm. it. We just want to get there like all of you guys on the internet were talking like we should have a long time ago. So, hey, let's see what happens. David, I saw that the median single-family home price in May rose to $414,200. That's pretty interesting. I went out to the MBA site where they have the mortgage finance forecast, and I was looking at revisions to 2022 and then revisions to the forecast for 23 and 24. And earlier in the year, the forecast for 22 was around 2.5 to 2.7. Now it's dropped to $2.4 trillion for 2022. And they revised the forecast down for 2023 to $2.2 trillion and returning back to $2.5 trillion in 2024. And really the underlying message here for our listeners is we're going to be in this for two and a half more years based upon what the forecast models are saying. It's not a short-lived downturn in the market. This is the three-year forecast out to 2024, and it looks about the same as it does today. Yeah, and you look at these numbers. These numbers are still strong. Origination numbers. What feels so dramatic about this is the precipitous drop from ridiculous highs, uh, unusual highs. If you're really high heavy, it sucks right now. There's no way around that. 
Um, no question. And that's always yeah. going to be the case when you have a, a boom like that. So those collapses of the refinance market, and it does feel like a collapse, and it's a lot of interesting perspective. And I recorded a, an interview with Ron Rainberg. We're going to do that next week. And so, again, some more commentary about how we should be looking at this. Good stuff. Matt Graham, you do such an outstanding job, my friend. Appreciate you for the services you do. And everyone, you can sign up for mbslive.net by putting in LOL as a sign-up code. You get an extended trial period with no credit card required. So give it a try. Be sure to do it. Matt, thank you for being here, friend. Thanks, David. Have a great rest of your week. You bet. Glad to have you here as always. Alice Alvey is in the house. She's here. She's CMB Vice President of Education and Training for Union Home Mortgage. And we're always so glad to have her here with the legislative update. Alice. Good to have you here. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. What an outstanding job you did on the pre-recording last week to talk about Juneteenth. You gave us some history on it. It was wonderful, and I got a lot of comments on that. People said, thank you, Alice. That was really informative. She does do well at education and training, which you do there at Union Home. So thanks. A lot of good feedback. Oh, you're welcome. It's a newer federal holiday. Obviously, it's only been our second one. And I know in some people that I was speaking with, they didn't really know the origin or the why. They had heard from TV how maybe some stations were describing it. And I was hearing what they were saying. I thought, well, that's not what it is. It has a really strong meaning, something that is meaningful to all Americans. And so I thought it would be a nice thing to share. So I'm glad you got some good feedback from it. Yeah, we did. But what do you got for us this week? Today it's all mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly enough, thank goodness that Fannie and Freddie did finally publish some guidance related to the Mm -hmm. Equifax credit score issue. There still are a few loose ends, but at least we did get from Fannie and Freddie that if we've sold a loan to them, we are not required to obtain a new credit report, re-underwrite loans, or go through any kind of reassessment. So for those of you who maybe haven't heard about this, Equifax had a period of time, a few weeks, March 17th to April 6th, where there was something wrong in the algorithm of their score. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the complexity if that became the Equifax score was the representative score you used for not only the underwriting, but also the pricing on the loan. So from a credit underwriting standpoint, lenders are good. We don't have to go back and redo loans. We don't have to worry about losing reps and warrants. Fannie and Freddie did come to the table on that part. I think what we're still waiting on is they'll be running a report and they will be regulating credit scores, kind of a retroactive type Mm -hmm. score based on at the time the loan was delivered for the loans that they have in their portfolio. They'll be sending out lists to lenders, and at that point, they'll be telling us about any possible repricing. Hopefully, those lists are small and easy to get through, but you can imagine for any lender, and I'm not speaking for Union Home, this is just kind of in general, when we've looked at our numbers, we're fine, but my brain starts going crazy and, wow, there's got to be companies out there that very Mm -hmm. often do lower credit score borrowers and may have a lot of loans that were on a bubble from a pricing standpoint and who owes who money. So Fannie and Freddie have confirmed they'll be sending the money back our way as a lender. Now, what do you do as a lender for reconciling that with the borrower? And obviously, legal counsel is very busy with that one right now. So those of you who haven't heard about this or seen this, it's Fannie's lender letter is 2202. Freddie has talked about it as well, and it's worth just making sure you're prepared. Even originators, customers hear about this on the street. Hey, I heard Credit Equifax had their credit scores wrong. 
ultimately it was a very short window of time and odds are that a lot of loans may not have relied on that score for their loan decision. So trying to encourage customers to think forward, I think, is a good strategy. I think the other two things I wanted to point out that were in MBA's news link, they brought up again about this $100 billion bill that Maxine Waters is proposing. I brought this up in previous podcasts. The House Financial Services Committee did a markup of 10 bills, and they talk about this. This bill is for first-time homebuyer and first-generation homebuyer. It has a five-year recap for a borrower who could get up to $20,000 in an equity share arrangement for the down payment on a house. It would go with an FHA or VA or USDA. So it's just a super expensive program. So it's hard to see that any of it goes anywhere. And last but not least, also on the money front is as we watch HUD and others try and figure out their fiscal year budgets for 2023, it's difficult to see 12 appropriations bills making it through the legislature by September 30th. So we can all expect that they'll be looking for some kind of a stop back, a continuing resolution to keep the government operating. That was MBA's thought on that. And I would agree with them that doesn't mm-hmm. look like we have a cooperative group over there that's going to keep things running and we'll be in stop yet measure mode again. Yep. So back to you, Dave. Good job, Alice. This was really interesting this week. I want to talk a little bit about, I know you believe in the importance of the Mortgage Action Alliance app and how that works. Could you expound a little bit on that with some of the things going on, like with Maxine Waters and what they're doing in there? It's kind of like, I'm all for helping first-time homeowners, stimulating that part of the growth. There's been a huge hill that they have to climb to get into a home these days. The cost of home price appreciation has been things, elevated interest rates. All these things are obstacles. And it's so important that we have our voice heard. So Alice, explain a little bit again for our listeners from your educational perspective, the importance of using the Mortgage Action Alliance app, also known as MAW. Yes, it is super easy too. So there really are no excuses. My voice can't be heard. So with the Mortgage Action Alliance, you can easily go to MBA's website. Actually, you can just Google Mortgage Action Alliance Mortgage Bankers Association. It'll take you right to the link to be able to sign up. Now, you do need to sign up every year. That's the way it works when it's something related to politics in this case, to make sure that they've got you in their database. And then what happens is you receive an automated text or email when there is legislation that needs your support. And it's already queued up for your congressional representatives and Senate representatives, depending on where the bill is at. You just simply hit whether or not you want to agree with MBA's position or even if you want to hit your own. But they make it super easy to follow mortgage thinking and mortgage-related policies that are pending. So I really encourage all of you to participate. It is going to be for legislation related, so you still need to keep listening to this podcast. Well, good job. Appreciate it so much, Alice. And thank you so much for being a part of the podcast for all these years, 14 plus years we've been doing this house together. It's really, really amazing. Yeah. And isn't it exciting? We're going to have hear from our old friend, David Stevens. He's going to be coming on here and get a chance to chat with us. So really, really excited about it. Yeah, like that. My folks had a saying, Alice, in their front foyer. It says, make new ones, keep the old. One is silver, the other is gold. And I'm really grateful for the golden, long-standing relationships we have, you and I have, and along with your husband, I just adore you both as a couple. But I also love David Stevens, the leadership you brought to the NBA and for many, many years and all the things he's up to. He recently published an article. We're going to be talking about that, the about the merger of both Black Knight and ICE. And what is the consequences of that? What does that mean? Lots of really good critical thoughts to be shared on that. So, Alice, thank you so much. Great job. You're welcome. Thank you. 
You bet. We would normally be going over to Alan Pollock, but he got a delayed flight and missed coming in here. But we're going to give up a bad time about that. But we do miss it. We love his tech updates. You could go onto the website, listen to each one of them. Go look at onlenny.com, L-Y-K-K-E-N, onlenny.com. And on the second menu item up on the bar, you could drop down. It says podcast, and it drops out all the various segments. You want to listen. Each one of our segments are loaded up there for you to binge away, and I encourage you to do so. Well, that wraps up this week's mortgage updates and it's the first half of our podcast and we're going to now move into the hot topic second half of the podcast which again we have pre-recorded you're going to enjoy this interview folks welcome to the licking on landing hot topic segment it is june 27th hard to believe this far into the year already folks i am excited to have not only a sponsor but a leader in the marketplace joining us on our podcast today we have jay and shane so welcome to the podcast jay and shane Thank you. Happy to, Pleasure be, here. to be here. So good. So let's start with you being the gentleman that we are down here in Texas. Jay, let's start with yourself. Give our listening audience a little bit about your background, where you worked, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, I think for me, I've been a champion of really removing risk, increasing the security, efficiency, reducing costs in the mortgage space. I'm very, very passionate about and consumers like you, me, next generation, realizing generational wealth from home ownership. So I love building products. And I think I've been building product in the industry since before people thought they could be a product manager. They would ask me, like, do you build loan products? No, we build automation. So that's where the passion has been for a very, very long time, really structured within the closing space. So I did a lot of lender work in the correspondent lending, closing departments, and then moved over to MERS, which was phenomenal. Spent a decade there and then did some consulting with organizations like Freddie Mac and others. And now I'm at Simple Nexus, really trying to remove paper as fast as we can in the process. Well, that's pretty exciting. And I hear Shane, you're one responsible for recruiting or bringing her in. Kudos to you for doing that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's probably one of the best things I've done at Simple Nexus is convincing Jay somehow to join our team. Well, you have so many outstanding people there. So adding one more, that's just really great. You wonder why so many companies are really great. It's because of the people they recruit in. So, Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, happy to. Well, unlike Jay or unlike you, David, I'm not a multi-decade veteran of the mortgage industry. My passion is creating amazing experiences in niche market segments. And I've done that for 20 plus years. And so I was attracted to the mortgage space because of the enormous potential of innovation and disruption. It amazed me, for example, that while so many consumer products and services were extremely polished, examples might be ordering a $15 item on Amazon to get it the next day, Uber and Lyft, booking a flight so easily. But conducting the biggest financial transaction of our lives, a mortgage, is still largely a horrendous experience. So my goal here at Simple Nexus is to fix that and make home buying and home owning a wonderful, even joyous experience. Yeah, so much technology can do that. Well, yet so much of our technology has failed to do that. So that's why we're so excited about what Simple Nexus is bringing to the market. So we're just honored to have the both of you on the podcast. And let's get into some of the things that Simple Nexus is doing. And Shane, I want to start with you. Can you take a moment to explain how Simple Nexus approaches product development. In other words, what is your goal in creating new solutions? Great question, David. So our product development approach really leverages the innovative mentality and speed of a startup, but matched with the security maturity of an industry powerhouse. So the way we've organized things is that our development teams are based on the user personas. 
for example, a team for the borrower, another team for the real estate agent, and another team, well, actually several teams for the loan officer. This way, we never forget who we are serving, and we're constantly striving to find the fastest methods to help those users accomplish their goals. And overall, kind of the goals that we have as a company usually revolves around efficiency. All parties involved in a loan, of course, want it done quickly with the least amount of effort. Nearly everything we do is a means to that end. And so that's what we measure with our KPIs and OKR is how long do things take and how can we reduce those cycle times? And especially for the lenders, this efficiency translates directly to cost savings, which of course right now is extremely important with margin compression. It also helps the lenders recruit quality LOs because we focus on handling the menial tasks, which then let the loan officers focus on building relationships and finding new borrowers and things that they're really good at. That's a great point. Jay, you have worked extensively within e-closing arena for a number of years. Can you tell us why the technology should matter to lenders both now and going forward? Yeah, I think for now going forward or even a little bit in the past, it's just essential to get to the point of full digital mortgage if we really want to leverage all the data that is collected, right? It's very difficult to collect data and paper. And you have to wonder sometimes if some of the issues we've had, has it been because it's all been in paper? Who can collect the data? Who's doing the data entry? Is it correct? All of these things. So I think to get to data, to get to modeling, to get to any kind of AI to be successful, we have to have full digital mortgage. And then digital closings are really that last piece that's remaining because we don't see any W-2s paper. We don't see any pay stubs. We don't see any of that. Those paper credit reports that most people might remember or those fax machines they send to order appraisal, everything has been automated. So this is the last piece. And I think we're sitting right at the end of, hey, let's make this a digital process I think it matters to lenders because that's where everything is moving towards, right? So you have to start now. You have to adopt. It's going to matter to you for success if you want to have anything to do with creating loops for borrowers to come back, establishing data and establishing your model. So I think you have to make a start now as most of their peers have already done that. I think what you're starting to go towards is efficiencies. And Jay, I'd like to... Have you talk a little bit about what back office efficiencies do you anticipate lenders, aggregators to benefit from with a digital mortgage and particularly digital closings? I'm going to ask how much time do we have? (laughs) We have to talk about that all day. So you'll see, I think the efficiencies will come from reducing expenses. You improve the experience for everybody, not just your loan officer or borrower, but it could also be your closers, post-closers. And with that experience, you're going to reduce some of your other expenses, but then you also increase your speed, your security, and your scalability. That means liquidity in the market, right? So there's this range that you see operationally or you see as a CEO, CFO is looking at things, you're going to see all kinds of efficiencies there. We have built actually an ROI calculator that's going to go on our website pretty soon where lenders will be able to see as you scale on your volumes, how much you can gain financially on it. So I think if anybody is looking for experience, efficiency on per unit 
loans, you're going to see that with e-closings as being the last piece. And Notarize has actually done a study most recently with MarketWise, and it boiled down to about $400 per loan when you have a full e-close. On a per loan basis, you start adding that up. I mean, that gets to be a rather significant amount of financial savings. And everyone listening to this podcast is looking at a way to cut costs. So I think that's outstanding. You are touching on efficiencies and that talks about cost savings and so much benefits in a time where everyone is looking for these exact benefits. But there are barriers. And so what I'd like to get, Jay, from your perspective and your years of experience at this is what are some of the top barriers that many lending organizations are finding as they try to make the shift towards digital closings? I think first is what we all know of. It is a change and you're changing your medium. You're really going from paper to electronic. You don't have this tangible thing in your hand that you can hold that everything is complete on a closing. So I think that medium shift hold some people back. Years ago, it was investor adoption, but that has changed, which is really what is most exciting. We are seeing more investors, servicers, warehouse banks come into the sandbox. That barrier is disappearing faster at this point in time than it was over the years. So you could see the medium barrier or the trading partner barriers that are holding some folks back, but we're seeing those barriers drop. And the other biggest one really folks trying to make the change. But it's not new in the sense I want to remind folks a little bit of, remember when DU first came out, everybody thought, oh my goodness, this is a huge change, can't take it. When we first got rid of fax machines and those traditional (laughs) credit report machines, it just takes some time. So they're not unbreakable, but there are some barriers to it. It it does take time. And a lot of it is adoption on that. But we are seeing a shift, are we not? Pretty significant shift. Yes, very significant shift. Let's get over to you, Shane. Even though you don't have decades of mortgage banking experience like Jay and I do, I think this is actually a blessing because when you find someone who has been passionate about the things you've been passionate about that you talked about as you were introducing yourself to our audience, you really talked about where this industry needs to go and we need fresh new perspective. And so as you see how our industry is now swung back to a purchase market, what are some of the differences with which e-closing should be evaluated and implemented or utilized. Yeah, and there are some really big differences that need to be accounted for, which is very timely, of course. I think the last stats that I saw is mortgages right now stand at about 82% purchase, which is a huge swing. Yeah. What we've seen just a year or two ago. Some of the differences come from just the approach and how we built it. Luckily, when we built eClose, we designed it from the ground up to support both equally well purchase and refinance. With purchase transactions, of course, the agent has a larger role to play from helping choose the lender that supports e-close, a lot of education with the borrower about why e-close is preferable and what options and advantages they have. And also the agent plays a big part with selecting or at least recommending the title company that will be used. And so you want to make sure that the agent is aware of which title companies are e-close ready and kind of how that process works. And then, of course, the amount of documentation for a purchase are are greater, a lot more involved there. And so down at the LOS or doc engine level, there's a lot of configuration that needs to be done up front to really identify those things as e-signed versus wet-signed, make sure that that's all set up for the process. And then, as Jay mentioned, with a lot of those barriers now being reduced with the warehouse lines and the investors, it never hurts to do your due diligence on making sure that those documents are recognized appropriately for your investors down the line. But 
like Jay mentioned, we've seen people adopt that so quickly. So usually not an issue, but it's always good to double check. And so a lot of those revolve around the implementation process. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the closing experience being yeah. done virtually is different. And so we provide tools to schedule the closing, and that's whether it's e-close or traditional, and also to allow any participants, including the real estate agent, if appropriate, to join in a secure manner. So those are some of the things that we've noticed. And it's a really great opportunity to take the closing experience, which historically has been one of the more nerve-wracking elements, and make it something that's just a little bit more natural and easy for all parties to do. Yeah, I think with your background from where you were outside the industry, I think you actually bring some unique perspectives and ways to go about that. Yeah, I think a lot of times in the mortgage industry, People do things because that's the way they've always been done instead of saying, well, it doesn't need to be done that way. And so it's just a good way to approach it with fresh eyes, but also leveraging stakeholders and those like Jay and you that have been around for a long time that can guide us on the times that regulation and other means do kind of dictate a certain way to approach things. Yeah, that darn regulation thing does come up at times, (laughs) inhibiting some of the innovation that needs to take place, but it is there and we have to deal with it. That's a great point. Jay, I want to get over to you, get some recent success stories that lenders have had with e-closing technology. You must have some great stories. Love hearing stories. Yeah, lots actually. And one in particular, we have a first colony mortgage that has uh, adopted RON and E-notes. And one of the Iran closings, the borrower was overseas. So we actually did the closing with our notarized solution and the lender and the borrower being overseas. It was pretty seamless. So their adoption was really good. They had more closings after that. They're adopting eNote and they're really looking forward to do fully close as in no paper. So that's the exciting part a little bit, David, that's happening is lenders are saying, Yeah, when I am going to do a digitized closing, it really is not going to be that some pieces are going to happen in paper. They're taking advantage of the eNote solutions, the vaulting solutions, and also the RON solutions. And we are taking that even further to say we could enhance in our roadmap. If you have a chance, we'll talk about the roadmap to say, what else can you do that would reduce the paper? You think of, hey, your tax information sheets, your disbursement sheets, your title policies, your short form policies. We're going to think about all of that for the lender. So lenders like First Colony, where Nick and she are just true good partners, allow us to build that way because of all the excitement and the adoption they have. And many, many more stories like that. I have lenders that skin their knees a little bit, but they want to start again. That's the exciting part to see is even after that, they're coming back. If they tried it a year or two years ago, they want to come back and try it again to make sure that they can scale. And I think the other piece I'll add is what we are seeing and what lenders are realizing Advances in other technologies are going to help us go paperless faster, right? Because we're mobile first. So the ability for as advancements take place in the mobile industry, we're able to take advantage and provide this full digital mortgage to the borrower. Yeah, I think that's great. You you talk about skinning your knees, which really comes to probably some advice you could share, Jay, with all of our listeners, some tips on how the industry can do a better job of tech adoption. I think first is standardization, 
right? Let's build some standards that we could work with together where everybody's talking the same language. It goes from the simplest things to character limitations on the way you build your databases. It's as simple as that. So increased communication within the industry would be great. But I think on a lender level, if lenders can establish champions within their organizations, understand their workflows. Remember, post-closing was such a huge back office Mm -hmm. function that most people never really paid attention. It's somewhere the loan went, it closed, and magic happened. I think more people are pulling the curtain on that a little bit and saying, okay, there is a process here. What was that process? How do we automate that process? How can we reduce some of the friction in the process, increase the liquidity? So establish those champions that are willing to dive a little bit into your process and see which parts you can automate a lot faster. And I think then also look at how the technology will help you remove some of those burdensome workflows. That's the true success Mm -hmm. folks look at that and say, I actually can remove this. I don't have to replicate every keystroke. So build your champions, look at your workflows, and really communicate with your trading partners, your title companies. All of them are interested in doing this. I've been to multiple e-mortgage boot camps, and it's the same message. Title companies are ready. Trading partners are ready. We just need to come together, figure out your individual workflow, and find that entry point for that technology to be helpful in your workflow. Yeah, the industry is now ready, but not every company is ready, which is really so important. Shane, I'll give you an opportunity to add to what you just heard Jay talk about as far as some of the adoption. Looking from the outside, now being in the inside of the industry, what are some of the observations you have on that same point? Yeah, with adoption, maybe one thing to add is just knowing the right timing and approach. I think it really helps when customers have a realistic view of, okay, I'm going to do hybrid first, get that humming very naturally. It's an easy adoption with hybrid, especially because they're usually doing disclosures electronically anyway with e-signatures. So hybrid's a great next step. And then e-vaulting, you know, like Jay mentioned, those are generally accepted everywhere. RON gets a little bit trickier just because we don't yet have a national law allowing everyone to perform RON. And so folks in California and a few other states do have some limitations there. And so in terms of implementation, it needs to be a consideration on the workflow to trigger it. But it's actually not as scary as it sounds. And so I think, as Jay mentioned, with people just step-by-step having a very cognizant approach and knowing that software is not a panacea, it's change management. And it's a lot of training and encouragement and involving people that maybe weren't involved in the past in a lot of these decisions, your title companies, the settlement agents themselves, and how they get trained, provide options there. And I think that way, it just helps everything go smoothly. So Shane, I'm going to go to this. We've already talked about one of the things that's unique about Simple Nexus, which is also unique about successful companies like Simple Nexus is the people they attract. But from your perspective, Shane, what is it that sets Simple Nexus apart from some of the other vendor options lenders are looking at? Yeah, I think you mentioned a great one is the people. We've tried very hard to hire these experts, people that have been around and just know what they're doing. And it's such a great culture as well. And so not only are they experts, but they're just fantastic individuals like Jay and others that have this passion for building a great solution. And then there's a lot of differentiators on the technology and product side as well. Simple Nexus's platform was really built mobile first. It really started as a calculator and almost like a business card within a mobile app. And it's expanded greatly beyond that. 
And the mobile aspect has a lot of very important points for us. One of them is, is the world has shifted and everyone has a cell phone in their pocket or purse, right? And so in, instead of having a lot of these bottlenecks be caused due to technology, for example, if somebody's at work, working hard, and then they don't see an email notification about disclosures that they need to sign until they get home and check their personal email. But if they get a push notification on their phone and go, oh, tap, 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 sign, 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 tap, done. A lot of these things, suddenly we've taken processes that take days and boil it down to minutes. And that has been a huge benefit. And especially for our mobile app, we've taken a white label approach. And so it's not the simple Nexus app, but we put our lenders brand and name on it. It is really their app. The reviews on the app stores are theirs. And so we have over 800 apps with app stores and with tens of thousands of ratings, 4.5 out of five stars or higher. It's really phenomenal to see that. That's really key to the borrower experience and the loan officer experience and the agent experience to really allow people to do their job anytime, anywhere. So that's probably one of our biggest differentiators. A lot of Others will kind of check the box and say they have a mobile app, but unless you have the white label mentality, it's really not the same. It's so true. And then other items too, highest NPS. Again, we are very persona focused. We track NPS by persona, our NPS ratings. NPS is Net Promoter Score, so a lot of people know that just in case we're using an acronym, someone's like, (laughs) but I wanted to throw that in. I appreciate that. Yeah, Net Promoter Score. 72 or higher. And so that's great. Deep LOS integrations. We realize that we're not the only tool that people use. And so integrating into your loan origination system and all the different tools that you work with. So it can be a one-stop shop and that seamless experience. And then the other one that I'll mention is Encino. We were just recently acquired in January and that's been great. Encino has been a fantastic partner mostly keeping us fairly separate, but starting to leverage a lot of the synergies that we might have with technology, such as their OCR and their banking platforms that can be leveraged for a lot of scenarios that we didn't handle before. And it also provides a lot of financial backing and stability. So really excited about what that partnership is looking like and all the future to come. You really touch on something there because I had the privilege of meeting and interviewing and having on the podcast, Kathleen Schreiner-Gates. And I can't tell you how impressed I was with her. And I watched (laughs) her and how she interacts with her employees and how she carries a culture that I so much respect. And then I was talking to one of my friends who knows Pierre at Encino real well. And he goes, let me tell you one of the reasons this individual is wanting a job there with you all. And he is saying it's because of the culture that Pierre champions. He does not allow the big egos to exist and dominate and that negativity that can get so toxic. So I'm really excited about what we can anticipate in the future with Simple Nexus and all the way around. Hopefully get Pierre and Kathleen on and do an interview with them and talk about the future. But you're the guy that sits here in the catbird seat. So what can we anticipate in the future from Simple Nexus, Shay? Yeah, great question. Like Jay mentioned earlier, a lot of automation, really trying to remove any little friction points during the whole process mm-hmm. and to make it easier for the borrower and loan officer alike. And also, we have a big vision for the loan officer and their involvement and how they should interact. We want Simple Nexus to be the one-stop shop where they are the interface, that they don't need to go to the loan origination system to do anything, really. But just use Simple Nexus to set up the rules and let everything be automated that can be automated or should be automated, but then allowing the touch points for that human interaction. So it should morph into more of a consultative type 
product where they can help the borrowers really make this very important decision by having all the data at their fingertips, having options, and knowing what's going to be a good decision for them in their situation. There's a lot of integrations on the horizon as well, working with a lot of other fine vendors and tools within the industry that we're extremely excited about. And like I mentioned, with Encino as well, there's a lot Ah. there that just kind of merging the commercial and the residential products into more of a seamless environment for those that need to deal in both worlds for especially the depositories of banks and credit unions that need that experience. So a lot of great stuff to come. A lot, a lot of great stuff come. We sat and watched Simple Nexus by my good friend, Lori Brewer's company. That no more got closed and we were all excited about that. And then the whole uh, acquisition by Encino, you start looking at like, wow, the Encino is a great company and they see great things happening there at Simple Nexus. Big shout out to my good friend, David Boland. So grateful that he saw value in our podcast. We're so grateful to have you as sponsor, but thank you both for coming on. Jay, Shane, thank you for being here. Our pleasure, David. Thank, thank you so much. You bet. Jack, as you listened to that interview, which I thought was really good, I want to get your reflections and thought, friend. David, I'm a little dumbfounded that we're having this podcast trying to drive the adoption of e-closings. We are a business that works off of referrals. And one of the biggest pain points to borrowers and sellers is the paper close. And I get it. Four years ago, you had warehouse lenders that weren't sure if they wanted to accept e-notes. And you had some subservicers out there that didn't have the capability to handle an e-note. What, three or four years ago, Jenny May wouldn't allow them in Jenny May Security. That's all been resolved. And then we had this thing called covid lockdown. You would have thought that would have driven so many companies to e-closings. And then on top of that, just eliminating a substantial or significant pain point at the end of the loan origination journey. You can have a great loan officer that stays right on top of the deal, a good operation staff, the deal flies through the pipeline. But if the closing is painful, Mm -hmm. lose the referral. Right. I mean, it's like fumbling the ball at the one yard line. And I'm dumbfounded that we're so low to adopt technology at a process point, create so much friction and pain from borrower optics. Forget the mortgage company for a minute, the borrower optics. And we're still talking about this today. It's like, come on, guys. Let's drag the mortgage industry kicking into the 21st century. And so I'm happy that we have companies like Simple Nexus out there that are focused on this part of the process. I mean, the software's there, the hardware's there, a lot of the barriers, warehouse subservicers, Ginny Mae in the industry have basically melted away. This to me really feels like a no-brainer. You put the effort, you get across the finish line on this. It's a big win. It is, and it should be. And I know you were one of the first adopters of the e-closings at the Texas Capitol mm-hmm. when you were running that. Why do you think there has been the lag? And any advice you would have anyone listening? They should be getting a hold of our guests again, getting a hold of Simple Nexus. They do a phenomenal job. We have had other guests that, again, all partner with Simple Nexus. But what advice would you say to those that may be laggards in this process? 
point, we were one of the early adopters. I mean, we allowed e-notes on the warehouse line and through our correspondent aggregation unit, we purchased e-notes. We were one of the first to deliver both the Fannie and Freddie Mac e-notes purchased mm-hmm. through a third-party acquisition. I think the roadblock is just we're getting inundated as an industry with so many technological opportunities to advance process and fulfillment. And which one do you do first? Where do you go? So much is happening now in an industry that had been stagnant for so long. And so where do you put your time and money and effort at to start the re-engineering of your process? And for me, it's real simple. I look for areas of either high cost or borrower friction. And certainly, the e-note or virtual closing, I call them, right, is a borrower friction point. And it goes back to what I said in the very beginning of my comment. We are a business that lives with referrals. I don't want to fumble the ball at the one or two yard line. And so this is an opportunity to take away a borrower pain point that doesn't need to exist anymore. Jay was talking about you had the borrower in Europe or overseas, right? It's a virtual closing room. Everybody logs in, authenticates, and you do the deal from the comfort of your home or the comfort of your villa or wherever you happen to be at. And we have to pick and choose where we're going to innovate first. It's hard to innovate all across the process fulfillment map, and you got to pick your battles wisely. This is a battle that our listeners should pick. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. So listeners, there you have it. We're excited to encourage this message. Again, download this, share this with others. But we're grateful to have both Shane and Jay on the podcast. Next week, Jack and I are going to be here. We're going to be talking about the latest trends, some of the things going on. He and I are going to gather around on the 4th of July. We may have some barbecue going in the background somewhere, but we're thrilled to come with you. And Jack, I think say thank you in advance for taking time on your 4th of July to come on and share your thoughts with me about leadership and how should we be looking at these markets and what can we help? others do to look at it and lead their organization. So very excited about it. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Form Free, Lender Toolkit, SnapDocs, Total Expert, Simple Nexus. They do all such great jobs. We're so grateful for them. Also, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America and the Lender Run, the Mortgage Collaborative Success Kit, Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, Modex, the Mortgage Advisory Tools, and DW Consulting. I appreciate you all. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. Keep the comments coming in. We love your feedback. Text them to me at 512-632-2900, or you can go to LinkedIn and share them that way. Appreciate you all. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.